The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. This show is produced by the American Negotiation Institute, and with over 5 million downloads and listeners in over 180 countries, listeners just like you have made this the number one negotiation podcast in the world. Hi, my name is Kwame Christian, and I am the founder and CEO of the American Negotiation Institute. Here at ANI, we believe that the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations, and we are passionate about providing you with the best content that will help you to make your difficult conversations easier, both at work and at home. Lastly, I want to remind you that we offer consulting and conduct trainings, both virtually and in person, all around the world. Our focus is in three main areas. First, negotiation and conflict resolution. Second, leadership. And lastly, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Check the link in the description below to learn more about how we could work with you and your team. And now, without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Karen, thanks for joining us today. Greetings. Greetings from Phoenix, Arizona. Yes, bringing some sunshine to the Negotiate Anything podcast. Um, how would you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Right now, I am a faculty emeritus from Thunderbird School of Global Management. And I had been a faculty member at a Graduate School for International Students for about 25 years. And now I'm taking a lot of the material that I've learned and the experiences that I've witnessed and written a, a book with my colleagues on quantum negotiation. And I'm creating some e-learning modules and doing a lot of coaching and writing around the, the concept of negotiation, especially under the uh, context of disruption and a lot of cultural change. Fantastic. Yes, yes, yes. And I have to say, I have to give you a shout out before we start because Listeners, we are dealing with a celebrity in the negotiation space because Karen did this fantastic study um, that I quote in almost all of my trainings. And I remember after we had our conversation, our pre-interview chat game planning, it hit me because I quoted you again. I was like, wait, it's the same Karen. That's crazy. So before we get into it, can you tell the audience about that study? Yeah, this is a study that I did with my graduate students, and I worked with uh, another negotiation expert, Marty Latz, who had created some planning software. And he and I both have been amazed at how little preparation many people often do when they start a negotiation. So he and I worked together on taking his negotiation software and using it in my graduate level courses and it gives you an opportunity for the participants to be able to prepare ahead of time and then to do a, an analysis of their negotiation after the negotiation. And we did a control group of people who didn't, who didn't prepare at all. And we have some of those in graduate school, believe it or not. And then we did another control group where only one party participated in preparation. And then we did another control group where both parties did the same preparation. And we found that there was a significant difference in the outcome 
because we could actually uh, quantify this particular case that we did. We had about a 12 to 15% better outcome when both parties were, were both repaired. And you would think it might be the opposite. If one party's prepared and the other, it doesn't. You, you actually get a better result when both parties are prepared. But it actually showed that preparation has an impact on not only the process, the way people felt about the process, but also in terms of the quantitative outcome, the value that was created. So we, we've been very excited about encouraging anybody to do preparation. It has, it has an impact. This is great. Yeah, I love it. And so listeners, remember, this is a perfect reminder for you to download those free negotiation guides. If you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash guide, you can get access to over 15 free negotiation guides from a basic negotiation prep guide, salary negotiation, how to negotiate as an introvert, how to negotiate for your car, all of them for free at that link. And really, Karen, I think you just, you, you gave it away. I think we've been exposed because if people just don't listen to the podcast, but they download the guides and prepare systematically, they'll, they'll get significantly better. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. This is great. Well, perfect. Let's get into the content now. So for today's episode, very excited for it. The three things that we're going to talk about are first, what's missing in negotiation? What, do, what are the things that people often miss? Um, number two, what are the five dimensions of humanity? And number three, how do you handle it if the other side isn't using the approach that you're going to describe today? So very excited for it. So let's just go ahead and, and jump into the first one. What is it that is missing in negotiation today? Well, it's been fascinating for me in, in this long journey of studying negotiation, doing negotiation and observing negotiation that so much of the attention we traditionally place on negotiation, most people want to hear about strategy and tactics. What I call, how am I going to get what I want? And then there's been a lot of attention on the what if, or the plan B, or the BATNA. What happens if I don't reach an agreement? And then as time has moved on, then we've really focused a lot on what we want. All the targets, all the statements we want to make, the issues, what we want and what they want, that's also been very traditional. But what I have found that even if someone has their how and their what and the what if really down, many times they forget about the why. And I'd say in the last 10 years, there's been a lot more focus on the why. What gives me meaning and purpose and why am I, do I have certain interests? But the piece that I fundamentally really looked at when I, finished teaching and had more time to really look at the research, the current new science research, I found out that we spend very little time on who we are. So I'm finding that focusing more on who we are and who our counterpart is, is so critical in helping us to actually know more of what we want and how we're going to behave when we get into a negotiation. And when you say who we are, what does that really mean? So what I love about this piece is that because of what we're learning in the world of, as I said, new science, neuroscience, in quantum physics, in the stuff on coherence, mind, body, spirit, energy of the body, that I find that once we understand and actually have a deeper awareness, some would call it a, a mindfulness or an attention to what I will call the, our five human dimensions. 
And I can talk a little bit more specifically about that as we move forward. Uh, but I, I'll say briefly that knowing who we are on all of those human dimensions and understanding our cultural perspective, our cultural values, our, our cultural perspective actually helps us to become much more empathetic to understand who our counterpart is. And many times I find that the best negotiations break down because we really don't understand that as who, we are seeing a different story of the picture or of life or of what we need. And we can actually uh, alienate someone else when we just don't even understand what their perspective of their take on life is. Right. This is really interesting. And, and let me play the role of devil's advocate. Let me put on my skeptical business negotiators hat on. And so let's say, listen, I've been negotiating for 20 plus years. I've been getting great deals. And Karen, you know who I care about? I care about me. And I care about my strategies and my tactics and just kind of imposing myself on other people. Why should I change my approach? What's in it for me? Well, first of all, I would say that if your strategy is working, then that is going to be what you will continue to do. Part, primarily, what I often find is that strategy isn't working. The more, I would say, dominating, the more coercion, coercion and I, what I would say, more egocentric approach, purely self-interested approach, doesn't often work if you're in the context of some important relationships. So for example, if you're working on a team and you have a project that's due and you're only negotiating and coercing, coercing and dominating others in the project and the project misses its deadline as a result, then it's time to re-examine why the relationship is important and what is your role in it. I would say you move from being egocentric to more sociocentric. That yes, your self-interest is inextricably linked with your team with your counterparts. So there's a shift in our mindset in terms of our self-interest. This is not to say you're altruistic, that you give up the sense of the self for others. It means that you actually become more realistic, that you are in the context of a social group, a relationship, a team, an organization, a nation state, for example. Yeah. So it's in your self-interest to be able to change your behavior so others are going to cooperate with you to get what you need done. Exactly. You're spot yeah. on, spot on. And it's funny because I, I teach an MBA course in the fall and then I teach at the law school in the spring. And uh, I was talking to one of my students and she stayed after and she, we were talking about empathy and the importance of uh, connecting with people, understanding them. And she was saying, I really, I just don't get it <laughs> I, because why don't I just focus entirely on what I need? So this is, it's really funny, the timing of this, because I was actually just having this conversation last <laughs> Last night. And you're absolutely right. Because the thing is, a lot of times with the way that we approach these conversations, we invite unnecessary resistance, right? And so for people out there who have been using this more egocentric, egocentric dominating model, you might have been getting, if we're just using, let's say, a grading perspective, you might have been getting 80 to 90 percent that's right. passing that's that's solid that we're talking b average a minus that's good but we're not considering what we're leaving on the table 
when it comes to the relationship, when it comes to the person's willingness to continue working with us in the future. And I think that's one of the things, one of the many benefits of your approach. And this is why I find the sciences today so fascinating for us in our world is that it's showing that when we have a lot of resistance or disturbance or interference with others' willingness to cooperate with us, we, we actually then lose a lot of discretionary energy. That is, many of us will participate, give even more, be a little more honest, be a little more open and sharing when we can feel that there's that, we almost call it a vibration of resonance that there isn't this kind of resistance. Science is showing us, we can actually measure this now today. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly, and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more, and we will be right back after this. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, and this is Everyday Better. Positivity is just a belief that there are good things even in the midst of a broken world. Post-traumatic growth is about actually growing stronger as a result of trauma. The universe only has one chance to see through your eyes. Give yourself that much respect and your life that much respect. Join me every week to explore the stories and ideas that show us how we can live even better every single day with people who are changing the world. Tune in to my weekly podcast, Everyday Better, wherever you like to listen. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And I like that now because my undergrad is in psychology. So I really love nerding out on these, uh, these uh, resources that are out there now because it's validating what a lot of people have felt but struggled to give words to. And now we're able to see why these techniques work. And so I think that's great. And I'm, I'm hoping now that the literature is becoming more robust, that more people are going to get on board and start using this approach. And going back to what you were saying, focusing on who we are as a person, I think this is a great time for us to transition into those five dimensions of humanity that you were talking to, to us about earlier. Can you tell us about that too? 
Yes, I have found, and, and I'll give a very quick little history of what happened in terms of my study and why I've decided to include these five dimensions in preparation. I think originally in the negotiation world, we spent a lot of time on kind of cognitive thinking, that strategy and tactics need this very cognitive thinking. So there was a lot of work on the cognitive level. And then as time went on, and this was interesting to me, as I was leaving graduate school, the research on emotional and social intelligence was just coming out. And that actually shows us that we need to pay attention to how we are feeling. And then we have to look at how that can impact our behavior. So then I started integrating that material. So the emotional level became important in preparation. And then I started finding a lot of material, scientific material and performance material around the physical element, that is brain performance and physical performance, how lack of hydration, how lack of sleep, how lack of uh, calm for our bodies can impact our negotiation preparation and our process. So then I started integrating more of the physical elements, all those things we do in preparation so our physical body is prepared for very difficult negotiations. And then I came into the world of spiritual intelligence and spiritual capital, that this is beginning to be a part of the mainstream literature, that that sense of meaning and purpose, what gives me a sense of meaning and purpose for myself that goes even beyond this one negotiation. So I have found that the more that people can prepare, first they look, if it, whether it's a five minute or a five year negotiation, very quickly, can you do a quick scan? How, what is my thinking? Am I thinking in a very scarcity mentality or am I using an abundance mentality? So just that mind shift on your thinking, your cognition. Is the world a limited resource, scary, fearful place or is it an abundant, benevolent place? Just to start there. Then to look at your emotions. Do I know what my emotions are? And can I manage my emotions so I can help understand others' emotions and help manage their emotions? Then do a quick scan on the social. How do I plan to behave? Do I plan to come out in a coercive, controlling, defensive way? Or do I shift my mindset, align myself so I can be in alignment to cooperate, to listen, to share? And then also, very quickly, think about how do I want to show up in this negotiation? Because what gives me meaning and purpose in the world is to be good to others, to share with others. And that I want to be mindful of that when I go into the negotiation, that I want to be in alignment with my, my values of meaning and purpose in the world. Just doing that puts us in an alignment. And I would say it anchors us to really who we are and what we believe. And like I, as I said before, there's so much evidence to show something happens in our brain and in our nervous system that we can align and have empathy for others and to remember to look at those things for our counterparts as well. That's what I mean about the five uh, human dimensions. This is great. And what I love about this is not, not only the fact that this is going to be great for the substantive outcomes of our negotiation, but we're seeing how this is going to help us in all of our relationships, <laughs> getting a better understanding of who, our, who we are, but then just for our overall 
mental well-being we when we have a better understanding if you, it's almost like if you become a better person then you're going to become a better negotiator <laughs> right <laughs> evidence is out there <laughs> yeah that's fantastic that's great now this is great so let's say again hypothetically let's say all right karen i'm on board i've gone through this process i am now enlightened um what if I'm dealing with somebody who's not on board? What if I'm dealing with that person who is very domineering, who is egocentric, and I'm trying to use this approach, but they're not? What, what are some things we could do? Well, here again, you and I could talk for hours on this. I know that this is a big interest of yours as well. So let, let's just put it in the context of what we've just been talking about here. In terms of what we're learning about human nervous systems, we are, and this is why we call it quantum, because our nervous systems are connected. And you can, even before a negotiation begins, even in initial exchanges, you can tell or you can sense the kind of nervous system that might be your counterpart. And you are to be aware of what you're sending as well, what energy you're sending. So first of all, let's start with the basics. If I'm completely aligned and my nervous system is aligned, I know what I want, I've done my other part preparation, I know what I want and why I want it, and I know that how I want to get it, I want to use problem solving, integrative negotiation strategy, and all my tactics are gonna align with that. And I also know what my plan B is, my BATNA, my, my alternative. I have all that preparation, I am in a nervous system that is calm, first of all, to, to encounter someone who has an extremely uh, imbalanced nervous system or is not mindful of what is managing their nervous system, and even those who actually use hardball tactics as their go-to strategy, just at, at first, we always talk, remember we always call this kind of a stage-in strategy. You start with pull strategies, all of the, the ways that you can listen, you can find common ground. Always you're looking for what is in their self-interest. They wouldn't be there if there wasn't something in their self-interest. And how can their self-interest become more uh, abundant with the two of you working together? So normally what we find in the research that, that's, that's done a lot on this is that there's really only let's say 2% of the population that has true clinical narcissism itself. And in that case, you will need to find ways very quickly to move to your plan B or to control or to just get, get the minimum of what you need in that situation. However, most of the population doesn't have clinical narcissism, but once they see that it's in their self-interest to cooperate, like you said, to not be resistant, they're going to have less time devoted to this, less conflict, less resource. They're going to get what they need quicker. So if, if it's in their self-interest, they will change the game and you're leading the game. And ultimately, you can find that even you can say, well, we agree to disagree. And just to say no, because based on your anchor, on your needs, you can't find what you need together, you can walk away and you can still maintain an open potential for future negotiations with each other because you have managed the process in a way that doesn't completely 
alienate or destroy any relationship you might have had in that situation. Yeah. And I really like the way that you ended that too, with managing the process, because that's really what we're trying to do. When we think about negotiation as a process, we want to almost think about it in terms of leadership. That's the way I like to think about it. I am leading this negotiation, not in a controlling or domineering way, but through my example, I want to demonstrate how we are supposed to negotiate. And the thing is, people might listen to you and say, oh, Karen sounds really nice. And they might listen to me and they say, oh, Kwame's really nice. But both of us, we've, we've had our negotiations and they all haven't been nice, right? We've been in situations right. where they haven't been nice. I still practice. So in addition to doing right. my work with the American Negotiation Institute, doing trainings and, and uh, conflict resolution trainings and negotiation trainings, I still practice as a business lawyer at Carlisle, Patchen and Murphy here in Ohio. And I know opposing counsel, I mean, most of them are, are great to work with. Some of them aren't, (laughs) but, but you can still maintain this demeanor and be very respectful and mindful and still maintain your, your, uh, your interests in mind and be assertive in the context of the negotiation. And so what are some things that you've been able to do to be assertive while still maintaining this type of uh, mindful approach in your negotiations? Well, can I give you an example here? And first of all, by the way, I I want to say I'm so impressed with the work that you're doing. Thank you. It's just awesome. So let let me give you an example of how how I've had to practice this. Uh, As a faculty member, and maybe you can relate to this, being on a faculty is not all roses and honey. And there's... One of the problems I think with faculty in general is that we all are experts in what we do and tend to be very uh, inflexible about the way we want to approach uh, the ideas and the themes and the projects. So I I would find that more so than not, 90% of faculty are very difficult to negotiate with. So I was working for a director, a new faculty member who had just come in and asked me to be the associate director of an organization that dealt with uh, cross-cultural communication and negotiation. And one of his ideas when he first came in was that we should ask, he asked me to go ask all the faculty to put together some programs where we would take students to uh, contacts, either government or corporations in different countries around the world and that they should all fit into this framework he wanted in this organization. And I had been at my university uh, for 15, 18 years already. And I told him that we already do this. We have a program on this. You can't control faculty to do it within a certain program because they each have their individual contacts. And either summer term or winter term, they would take students to these, these amazing, powerful contacts they had around the world. And students got these marvelous experiences. So I told him we already were doing that. But he insisted that we continue to get them to follow this format within the institute that I was a part of. So I went back to faculty. Still, nobody wanted to come into this, this uh, institute. So the one day we had a meeting, and of course, we always had to meet in his meeting, in, in his office, and it had a round table in the corner. He was sitting on one side, and I was sitting kind of uh, close to him in this round table. And all of a sudden, he started yelling at me 
and getting very, uh, I would say very disrespectful, just telling me that I needed to get this done. And he started to almost puff up and I could almost feel his energy just get really dark. So he got really angry that I wasn't getting this to work in his way. So I got really shaky. So I had a pen in my hand and I just put that down on the table and then I moved my chair back and I put my hands on my top of my thighs and my feet on the floor. And I took a couple breaths and then I sat back. And then I just said to him, this must be really hard for you. And he said, yeah, this is really frustrating. And that was the end of the meeting and the whole case got dropped. But that was an example that I felt like yelling. <laughs> But I know that's a no-win situation for me on many counts. I'm not as senior as he is. I'm a female working in a male-dominated uh, industry. And I just felt there would be... So anyway, to me, that's an example of doing quickly my scan that I found I was really scared. And I wasn't going to react on fear. And. Right. It had an impact on changing both of our nervous systems in that situation. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love this so much, Karen. Thank you for sharing that example. Because that, that I could feel the tension. Just hearing the story, I could feel the tension. Where if I were in the situation, it's like, man, I want to slap this guy. <laughs> or I want to run away <laughs> and, right. and cry in a corner. Neither right. of those options are very productive. Right. Um, and for the listeners, you've probably heard me say this all the time. So in my book, Finding Confidence in Conflict, I talk about the compassionate curiosity framework, where the first step is acknowledge and validate emotions. Second step is getting curious with compassion. And then third step is joint problem solving. And what I always say is sometimes the conversation is so heated and they're so emotional that right. you can't even get to steps two or three. You just need to acknowledge the emotion and get the emotions back down and then move on from there. And that's exactly what you did. You labeled and acknowledged the emotion. And then what happened? He expressed himself and he started to calm down. He started to decompress. And that's the magic behind it. If you acknowledge and validate their emotions and you keep on doing it, eventually they're going to calm down. That's yeah, it, it, it's pretty powerful. And that's why I salute all of your listeners out there who are doing their own personal development and their leadership development around understanding and managing their emotions and their behavior in leadership positions. That that's so powerful and it's so misunderstood that coaching, debriefing, mentoring, practice, debriefing, practice, coaching, and as you said, this is a lifelong experience in terms of your own personal development and your human potential. Absolutely. And one other thing, too, about your story that I, I really want to, to impress upon the, the listeners is that we're all exposed to media. We're all, we've all seen movies. And in movies, that's not how the protagonist would have responded. The protagonist would have puffed up in, in the situation and delivered this flawless, elegant speech and left the other side speechless and confused, right? <laughs> that's just, it's not how it works in the real world. And the thing that's really funny about the most effective negotiation techniques is that they're boring. 
<laughs> well, they're exciting to us on another level, right? Exactly. It's just so exciting to watch the choreography of something work out in a different way. Exactly. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, Karen, this has been a lot of fun. We really appreciate you joining us. But before you go, please tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and again about the book, too. Yes, I would love to share my uh, email address with all of you. And if you are on LinkedIn, please connect with me there. Uh, continuing to keep posts and keep up with everybody there. Karen Walch, W-A-L-C-H. And my email is Karen, K-A-R-E-N, at quantumnegotiation.com. And there's no space, quantum negotiation. And you can find our book, Quantum Negotiation, on Amazon and at Wiley Press. And we have hard copy, soft copy, audible copy, anything that you want. And we love to continue to coach and debrief and get more stories all the time. And I'll be sharing one of Kwame's stories pretty soon. I hope to interview <laughs> you soon sometime for a story. I would love it. I would love it too. Uh, thank you so much, Karen. We really appreciate it. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.